Welcome to Emerging Tech Horizons. I'm Mark Lewis, the Executive Director of NDIA's Emerging Technologies Institute. And today I'm joined by Austin Branch, who is a professor of the practice at the University of Maryland's Applied Research Laboratory for Intelligence and Security, or ARLIS, which is a UARC, a university-affiliated research center at the University of Maryland. Um, Austin most recently served as a Technology and Integration Director for Information and Environment Capabilities uh, under the Secretary of the Air Force, Concepts Development and Management. That was part of the Interdepartmental Personnel Act Services Agreement on loan to the, on loan to the DOD. Uh, Professor Branch joined ARLIS in July of 2020 as a noted subject matter expert uh, and defense, Department of Defense pioneer in the area of operations in the information environment. Uh, his primary applied research interest is developing models and solutions for U.S. government and partner nation uh, technical and organizational methods and applications for effectively competing in the global information environment. So Professor Branch's professional experience spans over 35 years from tactical and operational applications in both peacetime and conflict to serving as the strategic level as a Department of Defense senior leader, uh, in, in specifically as an executive at the National Counterterrorism Center and as an industry leader, pioneering efforts to influence human behavior to meet the U.S. and international interests and goals. Uh, he's noted for establishing a host of efforts at the intersection of technology and social sciences, uh, including pioneering DOD's initial analysis and activities that utilize social media to understand and engage selected audiences across the globe. So incredibly impactful, incredibly important work. Uh, Professor Branch served over 30 years in the U.S. Army uh, in uniform and senior civilian service, primarily in influence-related communications and in associated technical applications. So awesome, Branch. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for, for, for joining us uh, on this segment of our podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark. So I, I, I'd like to start off by, by talking today a little, a little bit about your work. And, and if I could, just could, could you tell us a few words about the Applied Research Laboratory for Intelligence and Security? What is ARLIS? And then we'll get to you, the work that you're specifically doing at ARLIS. Well, ARLIS, as you already pointed out, is a relatively new UARC. Uh, sponsored by the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, focused on a host of, uh, of uh, not only our scientific and technology uh, needs and gaps and applied research uh, um, up, uh, efforts, but really we're one of the only UARCs that are focused on the human domain. We kind of spawned from a, uh, an NSA UARC that was focused on languages. And, um, and, if, and if you wanted to identify in my view, if you want to identify uh, ARLIS, it's uniquely positioned to service this broader information competition space. Um, not only at the intersection of technology and the cognitive sciences. And, uh, and that's where our adversaries have uh, concentrated their efforts. And this is where our applied research lab is concentrating many of its efforts. Imagine uh, uh, cybersecurity at the intersection of, uh, of cognitive uh, science. So it's, uh, it's very interesting and it's a, it's a wonderful place to work and serve and not only serve our, our nation's efforts, but it's also the center of a, of a university consortia focused on intelligence and security. I mean, that's in its name. And, uh, and that is a uh, you know, really uh, acutely needed uh, you know, concentration of efforts uh, to not only serve intelligence security, but also, as I mentioned, the cognitive sciences. So uh, there's a lot there, and um, and we can. Uh, my focus is on the information side of the house, and that's what I'm prepared to speak about today. Excellent. And of course, you know, uh, being a UARC, uh, 
our, our, many of our listeners uh, may know, but some may not, that you know, UARC is a very special construct. Mm -hmm. It's it's um, it, it's it's similar to an FFRDC, a federally funded research development center, except it's affiliated, as the name implies, with the university. But it, it also it builds a special relationship with a government sponsor. It has a unique understanding of that sponsor's needs, um, and 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 I think it, the creation of the UARCs and the FFRDCs it, it represents, I think, one of the crowning achievements in in the in in the, our federal S and T landscape to create these these D five centers. So, That's exactly so, right. Imagine being a trusted, trusted agent, uh, being Switzerland, essentially, yeah. for all these different actors, both in the private sector, the government, and the academia. Right at the center of that, you'll have these UARCs and FFRDCs who operate in this space where we can have apply some advanced thinking and, um, and, and technological, uh, methodological applications to solve problems in it. It's, again, you're right. It's a it's kind of this engine room for uh, for solution. Yeah, I I also I don't want to make this a thirty minute plug for UARCs, but I love the concept of the UARCs, and yeah. especially the fact that you know, they reach into the universities, and so they also help us address some of the workforce issues that we are so concerned about across the government. Um, it's 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 a again a, a vital contribution. It is, and I'll tell you, it's it's even particularly vital for the areas that I work in. Uh, where um, we we don't our uh, the cadre of professionals in the information and uh, supporting the information environment or operations in the information environment is really lean. So the ability to inform and develop and identify uh, you know new blood uh, coming out of our university systems, coming out of these great students and thought leaders that are uh, coming coming out of our ac academic institutions are critical. And uh, the ability to kind of shape that and engage. And uh, and really, frankly, as you know, Mark, you get tested by these uh, young folks, sure and, they, uh, and they really they ask some hard questions, and they yeah. uh, and that's incredibly powerful and useful. I agree. I always used to say my my favorite classes to teach for say the sophomore level classes because those are the ones where they don't know enough yet that they'll ask those basic questions that make you step back and question everything you thought you knew about a subject. Yeah, that's right. And so, so right. absolutely. Hey, so, so tell us a little bit about the work that you're, you, you're, you're specifically doing at Arliss. Well, my career uh, has been focused on, um, and I'll use DOD terms, but I'll make relationships to a, kind of the broader environment. Really our, op our um, ability of our U.S. government and our Department of Defense to operate effectively in the information environment. How do we compete in that space in a very complex 21st century, you know, world where uh, where information is is becoming more and more of a competitive, uh, competitive almost battle space, and that's both internal and external. And so my focus is in that area to bring that my expertise and background uh, and uh, to help develop that part of the Arliss mission set uh, to be able to help and, and drive applied research. And, and potential solutions, but also be that uh, that center point for uh, for convening and bringing a community of interest together. And, and I'll talk more about that and why that's so powerful, and and having a place for a watering hole for uh, for everyone that trusted watering hole for people to come to and engage across the spectrum of interested parties. Cool. So, uh, what's what's maybe a very naive question on my part, but. Is there a difference between information operations and information warfare? And if so, how are they different? Yeah, well, they're uh, they're, they're not really. 
Um, and, and, and so, um, as if you think about information operations, and, and you know, if there's old, def, older definitions which we've evolved past, but we're still there. We're still working through uh, Department of Defenses anyway. And remember, the terms, both of those terms are defense-oriented, defense-framed terms. These are not meant to be broader U.S. government terms. These are ones that were coined and developed for the Department of Defense. But it's core to you know integrating information-related capabilities during military operations to influence, disrupt, corrupt our adversaries and 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 disrupt their command and control, uh, their their decision making and their ability for command and control while protecting our own. That was the original intent. You know, we started Department of Defense started churning on this in the mid '90s, um, and. Uh, and we've—it's uh, been a roller coaster ride within the uh, within the DoD on how we organize, how we define it, how we use terms to frame what we're doing. And I'll tell you right now that we're still the Department of Defense is still struggling with that. Um, and uh, but uh, there are some efforts underway to make some headway. We use at Arlis, we use a term more broadly. You say information operations, information warfare, military. We realize that. We can compete in this space. It's an all-in proposition. I mean, everybody. It's a and uh, and and so those the types of challenges we're facing from a national security standpoint, Mark, um, are also being faced by uh, by multinational corporations, by you know small companies, big companies, uh, other institutions within not only within the United States but within many of our partner nations and others, where they have challenges to their brands, to their reputations, uh, to uh, their ability to uh, secure their own uh, interest in their own decision space for their own corporate needs. So a lot of the tools, methods, techniques that are adversaries, and, and read adversaries are not, you know, we've got the Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, we get all that, but there's others that compete uh, against our interests and the interest mm -hmm. of our partners and our economic enterprise and our, as you know, even internally. Our own values and opinions are being reshaped by uh, by uh, by false information and data, and um, and it's in incredibly difficult. So, try and answer your question. Those two terms are relatively similar in a military sense. We use a term called cognitive security, imagine uh, to at Arliss also to more to broaden the uh, the effort and uh, think about. 21st century security architectures, you have cybersecurity, you have physical security. Imagine we also have a need for cognitive security. How do you protect your reputation? What's your reputation like uh, on social media, Mark? And how do, <laughs> yeah. you, ensure, yeah. how do yeah. you ensure that that's protected? And, and how do corporations ensure their specific interests are protected and well understood? So, and, and so if, you, if, you, if we widen, if we widen uh, the, I'll use a, uh, our perspective. Uh, this is not something that's just a national security issue. It's a global security issue, and it also mm -hmm. includes, uh, you know, the private sector. Yeah. So it's it's much more than just a military issue, even Absolutely. beyond business. Everyday it person. Is so right. So even the, the the college students walking around outs, out, outside outside your your office window, it's 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 an issue they have to deal with as 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 well. They care about what people think about them, right? Yeah. And so. But but let's not let's not you know there's been past associations when you think about information operations information warfare you'll see it in past in 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 media and other places that they 
describe it as propaganda. They'll describe it as deceptive. They'll describe it as as something nefarious. As you as 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 you know, if you especially when you start thinking about DoD operating in this space, because it harkens back to times when the information environment was used for very nasty outcomes. Yeah. Um, the reality is this is a a major competitive space. It's a space we're in conflict right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's a persistent, it's a perpetual state of conflict. It's a perpetual state of competition. And, um, and it's a, uh, so how we organize to not only defend ourselves, but to proactively shape our own interest in this, very, in this environment. And think about that, uh, the influence space. It's, uh, it is not just uh, what we say. It's what we do. Mm-hmm. And that comes in many forms, not only in language and culture, but it also comes in ones and zeros. So if we zero into the technology, um, you know, this seems like one of those classic examples where tech advancement can contribute positively to the world. Obviously, the Internet has changed the way we live, mm-hmm. but it can also simultaneously open up opportunities for bad actors and maybe unforeseen circumstances. Happening um, right now. Yeah. Could, could, could you talk a little bit about that and discuss the technology, technological issues and misuse of the technology? Well, I think some of it's not a mystery to anybody. Yeah. You're using yeah. social media and transmedia digi- uh, uh, platforms to, uh, uh, to uh, push ideas uh, or push uh, uh, um, um, data, uh, no, uh, falsehoods, uh, uh, and uh, to shape or, or shape the decision making, the attitudes and behaviors of others, and that's happening all over the place. We see this happening, uh, you know, every single day. And it, and that doesn't it's not necessarily directly tied to a Russian or Chinese, you know, hacking or 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 penetration or uh, data collection. It's it's one company against another, individuals against groups. And we're even seeing that as sadly, we're seeing that internal foment, internal division. Mm, um, uh, someone asked me, uh, in, in fact, let me pull it up. I'll, uh, um, and, and this is my opinion. Um, uh, a, a student asked me, um, what, what will fighting in the information environment look like in 2030? And what does the U.S. and its allies need to do now and in the future to position our forces for success? And I, I kind of twisted that on him. I said, you know, I think the information environment will continue to be used to fuel internal divisions, a threat almost greater than those of threats from opposing nation states. And in 2030, the OIE is a central battlefield where the U.S. does not have preeminent advantage. Um, that's, it levels out it, uh, because there are those who will never match our military prowess, but can, in fact, uh, have, uh, match or, or overmatch our information cap- uh, uh, capabilities. And, and, and it's not just the capabilities. It's our willingness. It's, it's the authorities. It's the, uh, our culture. It's our laws. Our ethics. I, yeah. And, our, and, more, and most importantly, our ethics, our foundation of ethics and how we navigate this space to not only protect ourselves, but also preserve the very rights and very law, you know, the legal found the foundations of our culture. And so uh, that's a, that's a, that's a touchy, very delicate balance and a, and a huge challenge. So I must hate to ask this question, but does that mean we're at, we're always going to be at a, a fundamental disadvantage against adversaries who lack those same ethical 
standards or limitations? I think that there will be, we'll have, we're going to have to respond and adapt and try and get in front of uh, those gaps. And I think it is a perpetual state as technology evolves, as, uh, as our adversary's willingness to do whatever it takes to undermine our interests uh, across the whole host. It's not just our military interests, it's everything we do. We see it happening in penetrations in businesses in the entertainment industry. We see it happening, uh, uh, targeting our infrastructure. We see it happening, uh, our knowledge. They're stealing our knowledge. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, it's the challenges associated with not only the technical solutions to try and protect us, but those, those uh, you know, the ethical, uh, legal, uh, all the other issues that, that, that uh, you know, underpin our culture and the way we live that we also have to navigate. For example, you know, how do you, how do you engage in social media at the same time, um, ensuring that we're not, you know, violating uh, terms of service for the corporate, for the, the multinational corporations that run those platforms? Where, where does national security and their, their business security and business interests collide or where do they have mutual interest? All those discussions are happening right now and are in a constant state of, uh, of discussion, engagement, and evolution. There's lots of tension, points of tension, uh, but there's also opportunity there. And so uh, it's, I'll use this, in a, like being in a marriage. Work at it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> My wife would certainly agree with that. Um, so I'm interested also in the, in, in placing this in the context of other emerging technology areas, things like artificial intelligence, cyber, e even, yeah. even network, networking, space. Could you tell us a little bit about how information operations kind of fits in with those other other technologies, those other components? Well, it does. If you don't mind, I'll take a moment and list some of those technologies that I think are directly relevant to this information environment competitive space. And, um, and, and the reason I don't use the word information operations or information warfare, because they're not only military, but they're evolving right. now within the Department of Defense. And I'll address that in a minute as the Department of Defense is struggling with its own, you know, how it identifies and how it frames resources and uh, organizes to compete in the space. But uh, imagine that we need, um, and I'll, I'll list these out because these are ones that we've captured uh, when I said on the defense science boards and on uh, in other uh, uh, working with our, our, our militarization of foreign partners, algorithms for real-time detection of tracking means of scale, specialized algorithms to recognize purposeful or deceptive messaging, misinformation, persuasion campaigns, and so forth, scalable, efficient, and accurate social malware, de uh, malware detection algorithms, um, Develop high fidelity diffusion models for messages, narratives, and information across social media. How do we and uh, um, des design incorporate social environmental models that, you know, of context and its dynamics into algorithms that recognize? You hear me say algorithms a lot, mm -hmm. but think mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. the, the, the some people even call it algorithm warfare, and but it's 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 the competition of who's who's developed more rapidly developed the algorithms necessary to give you the any technical advantage. But I'm uh, integrate the image understanding and speech and natural language technology to extend previously developed text-centric algorithms. Uh, uh, refine methods of countering adversary influence operations. Uh, how do we detect 
uh, 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 you know, the, and I already mentioned fake images and fake uh, 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 um, data. Uh, so, and there's a whole list. So, um, of 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 technology. And by the way, and you know this, Mark, the, the Department of Defense or the Defense Enterprise, our FFRDCs, our UARCs, our labs. Uh, don't are not necessarily leading uh, yep. innovation yep. in many of these places. It's the private sector. It's it's yeah. it's very it's very different than yeah. what it used to be, and and it's also in a private sector that's not all, not always part of the industrial enterprise, right? It's it's some of these unique, exquisite, small companies that are working on other projects. I've engaged, uh, you know, and, and I know many of uh, uh, the NDI of the members of of this organization. Are well aware of some of these, uh, you know, unique uh, or, or or smaller companies that have uh, are supporting, for example, our our, our uh, entertainment industry out uh, not only in New York but out on the West Coast as they develop capabilities for that uh, for that market and uh, for that enterprise, and to be able to kind of capture and understand how some of those technologies might have application. To our national security, global security needs, and uh, but these are not these are you know not normal relationships. Some of these industry partner uh, industries, some of these uh, companies would not normally deal with the yeah. Department of Defense, would not normally deal with the U.S. government, given the sometimes the politics involved in that. So, so we don't get to benefit as easily as we'd like to from the extraordinary work and exquisite technologies and applications and methods that they're developing. So using FFRDCs and UARCs and others where I mentioned the term Switzerland as a pathway for those those collaborations is key. I'll, I, I view this competition in the information environment, the only way we could be successful in competing is through a network of networks. That network of networks extends beyond just the military structure. It includes industry includes the private sector outside of it includes our international partners and ngos and many others who share interests as important as it is for us to map the threat we need to map the interests of of all those who uh are in, i call them blue but the um the, the all the folks that have uh, uh are not threatening our interests but are out there taking care right. of their own needs and if we understand where those are, where they intersect global security or national security, there may be some aspects where we share. And let's let's talk, let's engage on that space. We're not trying to get them, you know, invite them to just because yeah, they're patriots yeah. to come support us. They have interests too. And, and if we understand those better, we may be in a better position to have uh, substantive and thoughtful conversations about how they may be, you know, and what they're doing may have global security outcomes and note i say global so it's fascinating yeah i i i would often note when i was in the pentagon that sometimes i had a better understanding of what our competitors and the adversaries were doing than what we were doing and it, and, and it sounds like you're pointing this then pointing to the, the same issue in in this in this space well and and that you just teed okay. me up for part two so we have the network of networks but the network of networks doesn't naturally happen right so you have to use the power to convene the power to convene to inspire. The tagline is you don't have to own it to integrate it. But I've learned, uh, I learned uh, there's some examples from the past of uh, uh, General Petraeus, General Botel, when they were uh, orchestrating the United States government and many of the partners to get at 
uh, you know, strategic issues in Afghanistan and Iraq. What they did is they used the power to convene to bring everybody in a room. They didn't own it. They weren't in charge of all of that. Uh, but they drove an agenda that was inclusive. And that through the transparency of those interactions, there was a common orientation to everyone's actions because now they understood what the others were doing and they would reframe or frame uh, or their efforts accordingly. And, uh, and so I believe similar to, to support this network of network enterprise in, the informa in this information competitive space is we have to utilize the power to convene to commonly, to set the conditions to commonly orient to, and, and through shared interest and through mutual accountability. Um, I know that uh, in partnership with the Office of Secret uh, Office, uh, uh, OSD Policy and Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence Security, um, Arliss uh, is supporting, along with many others, supporting a, a conference series, a conference of workshop series called Phoenix Challenge. That is exactly what it's intended to do. Create a, a, a meeting platform, a watering hole, where the entire community of interest, include our international partners, industry, academia, and others, uh, come in to not only share, collaborate, uh, um, to the plant and to, and, and to work together. And these are executed quarterly. So there's some accountability, uh, where it's an output, outcome based conference series, not just a bunch of folks sitting around a table and having conversation. And so we then, uh, not only describe, but prescribe, um, the actions to take, to be able to, uh, uh, to, to kind of harness the enterprise. Um, without trying to command and control it. I mean, the, mo the moment you start trying to control, so that's when it starts to break apart. It's convene, commonly orient, and, and well-considered, you know, industry, other partners will be informed by all these interactions and then, and then address, uh, uh, address how they can compete in this space uh, accordingly. Um, and, then you, and then there's a third part of this, it's called activate and orient where you take what limited resources we have in the Department of Defense or U.S. government and will then be better informed how to invest that resource to activate and orient uh, some of these activities, what's in your specific interests of national security or global security. And I have a couple of great examples of that where they're unique. Please, if, yes. If you're interested, yeah. Mark. That was actually going to be my next question. Well, one. <laughs> so let me give you a couple examples of activate and orient. There was a, a, when I was at the National Counterterrorism Center, we realized that we needed campaigns to counter violent extremism. And, but we, we were looking for all sorts of ways to how to activate and orient. Um, and where, where could these uh, efforts be developed, realizing that influence is really local. And uh, so there was this, uh, there's great effort that was already going on in the private sector where uh, a company was uh, utilizing university students to develop uh, uh, campaigns for private industry. Like, you know, when BP had their, their Gulf, their incident, they actually hired this company to work with college students to come up with, hey, what are, what are the kind of uh, influence campaigns that we need to undertake to, to kind of change the attitudes of folks towards our industry, specifically BP? Porsche was doing the same thing. How do we influence? And they, what they thought was, is why don't we utilize university students and to, because they're, you know, they're, they're, they're actually involved in critical thinking. And then it's not just regular, they combine uh, uh, social scientists, kids studying social science with 
kids studying cyber, with kids studying other technologies and engineers, and they put them into one course structure, one 15-week course structure with credit to, uh, to kind of develop some of these ideas. And, and the industry would pay the, the academic institution through this company to have them develop some of these ideas. We said, let's do the same thing for countering violent extre uh, extremism. So they developed a program uh, called Peer-to-Peer -Peer, um, that um, was getting multiple universities over a 15-week period to develop localized counter-violent extremism ideas in the digital space, social media, whatever these, these, class, you know, these groups of students led by a professor would do, and there'd be a little bit of money to give them so they could actually build out uh, build out the, their, their plan and then present it. They would mm -hmm. compete them, and they would compete against each other to see who racked and stacked at the top. We invited, uh, and we were Department of Defense, we invited uh, industry, uh, Facebook, I mean, many others to come and judge, mm -hmm. be the judges. Facebook liked it so much uh, years back and said, hey, we would like to do this We'd like to take this on and and uh, and 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 kind of do this for ourselves. These are little mini incubators that uh, we're, we're driving, you know, great ideas every 15 weeks. So they took it on, and now it's called the Facebook Digital Challenge, and they do it in 100 universities or so uh, every every quarter or so. And uh, and that's an idea of activate and orient. Originally, it was a U.S. government DoD idea. And now it's industry completely wrong. Facebook and, and they're out there doing it and it's a fantastic uh, effort on their part. Originally uh, focused on uh, countering violent extremism, now really focused on Excellent. disinformation. Excellent. So that that's yeah. one example. Then there's another one where we got Hollywood, uh, Hollywood producers, directors, content who felt, you know, and many of them are national asset, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because of their skill and storytelling and developing content to influence and so how do we take the, the, you know, small groups of them and help them enable some of our international partners, enable their ability to storytell, to scale some of their, remember, influence is local. The, uh, you know, we may, the United States may have our tools, technologies, method. We, you know, we have great prowess and capability there, but we certainly don't have credibility in many areas, particularly in, in, in different foreign locations. But, but these folks do, but they may, may not have the ability to scale uh, their efforts. So we help them understand and bring small teams of, of a really noted Hollywood folks who are uh, committed to helping develop national security. And, and they're, you know, they do these little projects to, uh, 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 we call them, we had originally called them the incubators uh, program where we go and, and help inspire and develop. And what's interesting, the Hollywood folks come out with content content for other programming that, that's gone off into Netflix and gone off to other areas. Again, this was all inspired by the Department of Defense ideas and people, and uh, but but not funded by us because it's not our space, but we we thought it was part of the global security and global security interest. So convene to inspire, activate, and orient. Excellent, excellent. Awesome, Rick. Thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. I, we, as, as in so many of these segments, I feel like I could talk to you for the rest of the day, but 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 alas, our our time is limited. But maybe I can have you back at some some later date for for a follow on conversation, because I've really enjoyed enjoyed this this, this discussion. Hey, Mark, not problem. I um, there's uh, there's so much here. Absolutely, and we I think we only scrape the surface. Yeah, under understood. Uh, thank thank you for joining us. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your work. 
with the university, but also your work on the part and on part of, of the of national defense. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Great to talking to you.